everybody. You are listening to episode 60 of the Hotter Than Health podcast. I'm Eliza Gelman, your host. This is a podcast focusing on fitness, nutrition, health, overall healthy lifestyles, and of course, your morning conference call. And if you don't know what that is, you will by the end of this incredible interview. So today we have on Karen O'Hara. She is an Ayurvedic counselor. She's an Ayurvedic health counselor. We're going to be talking about poop, sex, sleep, essential oils. We're going to be talking about self-massage. We're going to be talking about what different types of doshas there are. We're going to be learning what a dosha is. Um, We're going to be learning all about Ayurvedic medicine and how we can use it to our benefit and how we can learn to basically just feel our best in our own skin. It is not a diet. It is a lifestyle and it is not a trend. It is, it's basically just this amazing way of life that she's going to delve more into, into, I'm, I know I'm going to butcher it. So I'm not going to give too much more information on that. I will let her do it. But before we get started, I did want to give a little bit of background to Karen. So Karen, she's wise beyond her years and she offers it to the world as a traveling Ayurvedic health counselor. She's a true guide who helps others connect to their innate healing wisdom. Karen is an expert in surviving cancer. She's a natural connector who inspires others daily with her vulnerability and forced to be reckoned with ability to remain calm in the face of adversity. Uh, She's currently developing an interactive personal development retreat for women, which is going to launch in spring of 2020. So make sure you check that out. She does one-on-one coaching programs. She uh, definitely enjoys the process of writing her first book. You can learn more about Karen. Karen and all of her programs and information about Ayurveda, including luxurious and delicious delicious remedies in Remedy Cleanse and how to book her consultations and all of her services at KarenOhara.com. If you want to follow her on Instagram, actually, I'm not playing. You guys have got to follow her before this podcast. You have full permission right now to pause me and go follow her right now at Karen O'Hara Ayurveda. Uh, I have her on her, my most recent story. So make sure you go check it out. It's C-A-R-Y-N-O-H-A-R-A-A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A. All right. Make sure you go check it out. It'll be in the show notes as well. But if you haven't already liked, shared, subscribed the podcast, make sure you do so. It is so tremendously helpful. And if you don't, then just screenshot whatever you're listening to on right now. That's super helpful. Share it. If you're listening at work, just share it with your colleagues or whatever. I'm currently listening to my roommates watch me right now. So shout out to Liza Seltzer. Hey girl. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast episode. It's going to be fantastic. You guys get your notebooks out, get a pen and paper. You're about to get some knowledge. All right, let's get into it with Karen. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Hotter Than Health. In front of me right now, we have Karen O'Hara. She's an Ayurvedic health counselor. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. And just to paint a picture for everybody uh, listening, we are at my living room table. We're having glasses of tea, water, hanging out. She's wonderful, wearing cool camo. Like she's just as cool as you, as she sounds. So you guys are gonna absolutely love this interview. We're gonna be talking all things Ayurveda. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. So <laughs> welcome to the podcast, uh, Karen. Let's start with just the most basic, fundamental question: How do you say it, and what is it? Yeah, yeah, I get that question all the time. <laughs> 
I'm really interested in what you do, but I have no idea how to say it. Um, so I often tell people, I point at my eyeball and I say I, and then I point to them and say your Veda. I, your Veda. And so that is the pronunciation. And Veda is, if any of the listeners have heard of the text where we first learned about yoga being practiced, it's the same set of books, essentially. These Vedas were the first kind of scribed information about what a yoga practice is, how to do it, why it's important. And then there were also a lot of information essentially in the same books about Ayurveda and how this medicinal system could help people heal and feel better through mainly diet and lifestyle. So some people say diet and exercise, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Mm -hmm. It's really anything we eat and anything we do. And that makes the combination of how we live our lives. So, of course, that's going to have a big effect on our health. Um, And so I usually break down for the definition the actual word Ayurveda. Veda, obviously, like I said, is the textbooks. And Ayur comes from the root word Ayus, which is A-Y-U-S, which means life. So it's essentially the sciences of life. And I have a couple teachers I love to say other people's perspectives on things because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's enlightening. Um, But one of my teachers is in the Bay Area, and his name is Scott Blossom. And he describes Ayurveda as the science of longevity, which I love because ultimately when we're working with a system that's holistic, we are working in the areas it shines, which is prevention and adding quality to our years. So we might feel really, really great already and feel like we eat pretty well and we exercise regularly, but there's bound to be something we can do to amp up either our energy level, improve our sleep, improve our sex life, improve our poop, which we're going to get onto that later. Uh Uh (laughs) Um, And then another teacher of mine is in Colorado. His name's John Doyard, and he talks about Ayurveda and refers to it as the science of you which I think is also really clever because it's essentially a way to really hammer in the fact that Ayurveda is not a cookie cutter approach. It's not one size fits all, but it really is about getting to know who we are as individuals and how our body responds to certain things and then using that to understand what the medicine is. And that's really beautiful. So you said it's not the same for everybody, but it is for everybody. It really is just a lifestyle adjustment catered to you for you mm-hmm. so utilizing things like a change in diet a shift is it is it completely changing your lifestyle can people adopt small ways to integrate it is it like not something you have to be born with but is it something you have to study a lot like do you think that people are already kind of practicing Ayurveda without even knowing it that's an interesting that end question is really interesting I think that there are certain elements of Ayurveda that people are doing already instinctively, especially people who can understand the messages that their bodies are giving them. So Mm -hmm. if there's a discomfort or a pain or a shift in some way that you can feel either in your mind or your physical body or your emotional body for that matter, if we're listening and paying attention to that, then that is part of the Ayurvedic practice. You know, I... I don't ever want to be hired by anybody to tell them what to do. I want to educate someone about a new way of looking at themselves and then basically open the door and say, here's a starting point. 
Here are some things you can listen to. Here are some ways you can start to your other point to integrate Ayurveda. It doesn't have to be 100% of the time I'm quote unquote following all the rules Mm -hmm. because that starts to feel rigid and that's not very healthy either. And we see that with people who get really hyper-focused on everything they eat and then it becomes a disorder actually, Mm -hmm. right? Because we can't just have the spontaneity of being alive and deciding I'm going to eat the freaking cake, you know, like still the art of life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I like to open that window or open that door and then help people understand themselves better so that they can determine what the medicine is essentially. And what got you into this entire practice? Have you been practicing Ayurveda your entire life? Were you raised with it? Were you, do you, how did you get into it? So was not raised with it. Um, I will say that I was raised by parents who gave a shit about what I ate, you know? So we did have a garden and I did eat from it. You know, my mom jokes about like, I couldn't even get the damn food in the house before you'd just be like picking it off the vine, you know? Aww. So I feel like that gave me some insight into how important it can be to not only grow your own food, but the whole process of, you know, cultivating and caring and harvesting and then breaking bread together. And the whole process to me is very sacred and, and really nice and something that I try to continue to, you know, kind of reciprocate and like do in my own life for her and my husband and I. So, um, so yeah, I, I was trained to teach yoga in 2008 Mm -hmm. Um, and so in that training, there was like a little taste of Ayurveda and part of it. And I just kept thinking, God, this makes so much sense. You know, there was nothing that I ran across at that point where I felt like, you know, this sounds like somebody trying to sell something or this, this sounds like there's some kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, just something. Yes, exactly. That wouldn't be long lasting, but instead I looked at it and realized I love the fact that it's not a one size fits all program because I, that has never, I've never internally felt like, like, or intrinsically felt like that made sense. Like mm-hmm. we're not all the same people. We don't respond the same way to even the same conversation or the same wallpaper we want on our walls, you know? So why would we respond the same to things like food and, and that sort of thing? So I was introduced to it. I had kind of this liking toward it. And then over the years, Every once in a while, I would just come across an article that wasn't about Ayurveda, but would naturally kind of just weave it into whatever the fold was. And again, I'd be like, oh, that just, yeah, I, I can see how that would work. And so I started trying little things and it started with putting lemon in my water and not drinking a ton of ice and things that were not hard. Um, and again, things that it wasn't like, oh my gosh, if I don't do it, then I'm not you know, someone practicing Ayurveda was just like, eh, let me try and see what happens. And when I started having that simple warm water with lemon in the morning, I realized I am pooping every day before I leave. Huh. You know, simple. My right? listeners are probably like, oh, she was right. <laughs> you I tell people every single podcast to start their day with a glass of room temperature water. Yeah. Like water the flower before your day starts and it will get everything going. Yeah. Like scrape the tongue, do all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and what is it? Like a tongue scraper is like 10 bucks. 
It's like so, 10 bucks. You get yeah. a copper one. It'll be all fine. Right. Yeah. So if you invest in that and you try it and you realize, mm, I'm not really taking to it, then it's not a big deal. It's one thing. There's a million things you can do. Right. Right. And the reality was when I saw what I was scraping off my tongue, it just became another part of my toothbrushing exercise. Like, well, if that crap is coming off my tongue and it's not necessarily coming off on my toothbrush, I want to use this thing every day. <laughs> and I was listening to another podcast about... This, for all I know, this could turn into a complete tongue scraping podcast. But um, <laughs> so you started your day with water, and then you or do you scrape your tongue before you do water? Yes. Okay, so you get rid of is it Ama. Yes. I'm telling yes. you. Yes. Listen. I'm impressed. So <laughs> I want to hear about. Uh, actually, I want to hear all about your morning routine in just a second. Finish okay. your question. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, no. So. It was just kind of peppered in, you know, I wasn't necessarily seeking Ayurveda sources, but they would just kind of find their way into my psyche and I would try something and it made sense. And to, it's debatable, but like the last day of 2012 or like the first day of 2013, I was diagnosed with cancer and I really wanted to have something to focus on. And I was being told, you know, you're going to have this surgery and we'd like for you to take this medication. And I was not a person that even liked to take pain reliever very often. So for me, it was like, how can I have something to focus on that allows me to a feel empowered? Like I have some kind of role in my health and B have some sense of almost like a, in yoga, you know, we call it a dristi, but it's this fine pointed focus on something. So if I can focus on something and stay clear minded and feel empowered at the same time, then I'm not going to feel like a victim. I'm not going to feel like my health has completely changed forever, but instead I can recognize that life is not linear. And even though I'm being told I have this happening in my body right now, I can start to work with my body in new ways and help it understand how to navigate through whatever it is that I'm going to be going through from now on. So that's really what kind of picked me up and shook me around a little bit and was like, Hey, you've been really attracted to this thing. Now's your time to take the deep dive. And for you, it took something and who knows, maybe you would have gotten to be an Ayurvedic specialist counselor after, you know, after a year or two on your own, but it took something like, this diagnosis of and for listeners that don't know colon cancer mm-hmm. which is it, the word in itself it's terrifying to mm-hmm. even say out loud mm-hmm. so having something that could be taken just as trauma mm-hmm. and you know flipped it upside down and turned it into this whole lifestyle that you've now adopted and you've created a whole business out of um I know that there are a lot of people listening who have a side hustle, who are super interested in health, who are super interested in fitness and wellness. Maybe they don't know where to go with that. Do you think that Ayurvedic medicine is something that like everyone should get into just for their own personal health? And then, um, I mean, not saying that everyone has to go be certified in Ayurvedic medicine or anything like that, but um, there are going to be some people listening who are maybe going through something and they need to make a small shift in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, what comes to mind when you think of the most impact Ayurveda lifestyle adjustments have had for you? Like, do you think it's mindset? Do you think it's your physical body? Do you think it's, what do you think it is? 
Also a good question. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of weigh things in that way because everything is connected, right? Yeah. Um, but I will say that I had a really interesting experience in ICU and the message, I had several interesting experiences, some of uh, which we yeah. may have time for, some of them. But I got this message from I don't know where to meditate every day. Like I heard it, it was clear. There was, it was like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. And I started doing it while I was there, even though I wasn't really doing anything else. Um, but you got this message in your head you got this message like just from life. It just came, of, uh. you know, and I, maybe it was from my subconscious. I don't know, but I had done it before, not regularly. And Ayurveda is one of those things that's allowed me to, have more focus on things that maybe I thought, eh, I don't know, I'm going to do it sometimes, but I'm, I'm not really an extremist. I'm more of a moderation kind of person. And so even with my exercise, I've always been interested in taking care of my body, but I've never been like, I'm just going to go waist deep into this particular thing and then throw everything else to the curb. You know, I'm, I'm much more of the kind of person that's like, I want to do some of this and some of this and some of this, and some of this. So for me to decide that I was going to meditate every day was like a completely new thing for me. Mm-hmm. Now, to say that that was completely connected to Ayurveda at the time, no. It was just this very singular statement that I heard. But for whatever reason, I was completely on board for the first time for doing something every day. And I mean, aside from like brushing my teeth and taking a shower or whatever. Mm-hmm. But even the shower is debatable. But but I feel like Ayurveda has given me a combination of accepting me for who I am and realizing this idea that society, especially in the United States, puts in our head of like, you know, the way our physique should look and what our hair should look like and all these external things and even what we spend our time doing is such bullshit, honestly. And I have a lot of like fire behind that because it took me until I got to know Ayurveda to go, oh, that's just the way I am. You know, like I don't have to check all the marks in life and have all the strengths in life. And while I had mentors and people in my life who told me that, it wasn't really until I started studying Ayurveda that I finally go, oh my God, I can totally let go of trying to do that thing. I can totally let go of trying to be that person because I have all this other stuff that I'm great at. And doing something every day was not a strength for me, but it gave me a balance to go, I can accept who I am and I can commit to the things that I want to commit to. And I don't have to listen to everybody's opinions about whether I'm doing the right thing every day or the wrong thing or whether I'm doing good or whether I'm doing bad, but just recognizing that what I'm choosing to do is for me and it's not about anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like this confidence thing that it gave me. I love that because I feel like we are in this age where these, for me now, they're trigger words. It's like hustle, grind, like just consistency, effort. Yes, consistency and effort are super important, but um, basically breaking your back every day or else you're not good enough. You have to do more to be more. And you know, it's this fear-based society where you only have to focus on your weaknesses. But my fear is that we're in the society, like you're saying, where we're only focusing on our weaknesses and we're not focusing on our strengths. So our confidence doesn't even have the opportunity to flourish. 
So I think that making those commitments to yourself, like you did with meditation, making a commitment to do something every day when you're called to do it, I feel like that boosts your confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, when you follow through with something that you commit to yourself, that's where confidence comes from. And that's where character is built. And like, that's just how I feel. That's mm -hmm. more that. But as far as adopting that Ayurvedic lifestyle, you get this confidence, you start to really immerse yourself into Ayurvedic practices. Um, how did you, you know, for this audience, it'll be specific for food and things like that. How did you change your diet? What were some things that you specifically went into for you? Um, I know that everyone's different. There's three doshas, the pitta, vata, kapha. Mm -hmm. So people eat differently. People have different skin, hair, nails, whatever. What is spe some specific stuff that you noticed about you and some diet shifts that you had? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start by saying... I, every meal that I put in my mouth is not Ayurvedic. I still eat pizza. <laughs> you know, I still, I love all kinds of ethnic food. And so I love to kind of do the, it's a small world thing and, you know, have little bits of everything. So I would say that what it changed for me the most is a recognition of what are the things that I really enjoy eating that my body really doesn't super enjoy digesting yeah. <laughs> to understand that to me, I don't feel like I have to cut them out. And Ayurveda is not a, you have to do this 100% of the time. One of the things that I really fell in love with about the practices is that it's about 80-20. So 80% of the time, you're doing what you know is the best for your body. And 20% of the time, you're just living your life. And you're not trying to find like the box to check or the rules to fit within. Um, but it's really a way to not feel confined. And so it isn't, even though we use the term diet, we actually use it as like, this is what you're eating. Mm -hmm. It's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. And so if I'm going to really commit to something as a lifestyle, there's no way that I just don't have an interest in living a life where I know that there are 17 different foods that I enjoy that I have to commit to never having again. Yeah. That's not realistic for me. And there are a lot of, uh, I don't even know if there's a name, like a category, but there are a lot of people in the, I'll call it wellness world, who say across the board, this is bad for you, this is bad for you, this is bad for you, everybody should cut these things out. And the reality is all of our bodies don't respond to the same things the same way. So how can you possibly say, unless you're saying heroin is bad for you, like, okay. <laughs> but as far as food goes, there's, there's not so much black and white that I feel people try to convey. There's a lot more gray area. Mm -hmm. So if I eat something that maybe gives me a little bit of gas, which is one of my things, I was a colicky baby, I have gas. <laughs> I have gas too, and I feel like I eat really healthy, but sometimes gas happens. I think that's, I was just doing research, that's a Bata thing. It is a Bata thing. Uh, I literally burped right before you got here, and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I was like, I'm a monster. Well, and burping and farting is normal, so there's that. It's true, it's true, but I was like, this is extra today. Yeah. Sorry. Anyways. Yeah. So realizing that vata, and I can get into the doshas a little bit more, is basically very similar to Chinese medical system where we look at an elemental theory and there's five elements that we work with. And vata happens to be ether and air. So ether is basically a gas, it's just space. It's like, we can't see it, but we know it's there. 
Um, and space, sometimes people refer to it as wind. You can't really see space, but you can see the effects of wind. Um, and so when we're looking at what those two things are, well, if I'm comprised mostly or a significant amount of this vata energy in my body, then of course, one of the things my body's going to do when it's having any kind of, we'll say, uh, challenge to the system is, is it's good at producing this air. And that's the way we know, oh, my vata is being elevated because maybe, maybe I do burp after I gulp something that's carbonated. But if I'm just drinking still water and I'm drinking it slowly, I'm probably going to see that gas significantly reduced. Just as simple as that. Just mm -hmm. not having bubbles and slowing down. So what are the three... The, so you just said there are five, what was it, pillars? Yeah, there's five elements. Five elements. Mm -hmm. So can you go into those and what yeah. is in, what, I'll just go into that? Yeah. Yeah. So with Vata, we see the air quality come up with essentially, the way I like to describe it is each dosha ha, is like the manager of something and they're okay. really good at that innately. So Vata is the manager of movement. And we can think of that like if we were to put air in a jar and seal it, we wouldn't be able to see it, but we would know that the molecules are moving around. It's not just this static thing. And so Vata people who have, or people who have high Vata energy tend to move around a lot. They just like to kind of reorganize their bones. And so they're not the kind of person that's gonna sit, right? I love that you just said reorganize your bones. <laughs> like, could you just sit still for a second? I'm like, ah, I gotta move around. Yeah. That's amazing that you just said reorganize your bones. <laughs> Keep going, sorry, sorry. <laughs> So in that, it's, it, I mean, you and I are both doing it. We're both <laughs> shifting in our chair. We're trying not to creep because it's, what is this, rattan? Or, I, I don't I, know. Anyway. Girl, I have no idea. <laughs> There's something that Thanks makes chairs, noise. Uh, yeah, sorry, creaky wicked We're not chairs. passing gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of what it sounds like over here. This mic picks everything up. So we just got shutters on the house. It could be banging from the shutters. Like, it's a lot of different things. Um, so, okay, Vata is windy. Yeah, airy. so, and you see this mobility, essentially. So, in texts, Vata is referred to as the king of the doshas because, essentially, if we didn't have heart rate, if we didn't have respiration, if we didn't have all these things that require movement, we wouldn't have life. And so, it's not that Vata is more important in the scale of, like, oh, man, I wish I had more Vata because that's more important. It's not like that. We all like have Vata, Vata energy. Bloat. Vata people bloat. Lots more. of people just are prone to more gas. And so to your earlier question, one of the things that I learned about me specifically when I started uh, practicing Ayurveda more was that it was kind of comical to talk to my mom and she would make these, you know, randomly, but every now and then things would come up about me being colicky as a baby. And I'm like, wow, well, that's been consistent. Now, if I, if I was not gassy as a kid and then it started at some point and it was I'm, and I'm acting like I'm just like passing gas from she's not seven. like sitting on a whoopee cushion but if I didn't know that that was consistent I there could be some kind of issue right like if all of a sudden one day I was just like oh my gosh why am I like this now I've never been like this that's when you know Ooh, my vata's increased and it's probably not a good thing because it hasn't been consistent from childhood Right. Um, so the other thing about Vata, it's like they're the manager of movement and out in the world, they tend to be very, um, very creative, but also these visionaries. So they're the kind of people that are like 
oh my gosh, I have this great idea. If it's a business plan, they're like, we can incorporate this and we can incorporate this component and create this product. And they have all these kind of like arms that stretch out and they can have this very aerial view of the whole process. And so it's interesting because just even saying that they have this aerial view, well, they're air. But there's no tree trunk there to like, do they, are they it's good true. executors? Not feel always. Like a, I feel like I'm a really pretty shitty executor. They're great at starting things. <laughs> Initiation is really, really great. Um, which is a good segue, thank you, into Pittas, who are great at executing. And that is their superpower out in the world. They will be in a boardroom and there's a Vata in there like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I have so much enthusiasm. I just want to move around and dance around and tell you all about this idea that I have. And the Pitta's like, okay, slow down. We don't need so much detail. Just tell us where you want us to go and I will be the one who creates the efficient plan. And that's where they thrive. And they are elementally a combination of fire and water elements. And so we think of fire as what is their management system, which is transformation. So if anybody knows the story about the Phoenix rising from the flames, this is like, you know, the crystallis or the caterpillar, the crystallis, the butterfly. So the fire is really what transforms thought, feelings, the body itself. So where vata is irregular with digestion, pittas tend to be much more regular. And that fire is really what's allowing, we can think of, even we call it the digestive fire, but it's really the acid in the stomach that's helping us digest and assimilate the food. And pittas have a really great fire. So they have a great assimilation. So they typically don't really gain weight easily. They don't really lose weight easily. They tend to be really steady. They tend to be leaders. They have that like really that burning zeal to like get in there and just take charge. So hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, used to, so I used to, so I have always said like I'm Vata a little bit Pitta and then I dated a guy who was like Pitta, mm-hmm. all Pitta, mm-hmm. red hair, mm-hmm. angular jaw, everything. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that more. But yeah. he, so you were just saying that Pitta people have like a more fiery quote unquote digestion. Mm-hmm. So he could have really cold foods and raw vegetables all the time. And he'd poop five minutes later. Fine. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Hot out of the oven. Fine. Mm-hmm. I would have like a cucumber and like six carrots and I couldn't poop for three days. I'm like, I I, I got an issue. So it's crazy Mm -hmm. that once you kind of figure out what quote unquote dosha you are Mm -hmm. primarily, you can, once you start to cater those eating habits to that, it is mind blowing. And then you start to, you start to pick up on those things anywhere you go. I'm right now thinking of all these people that are like this or this or this. Sorry, keep going. I know there are more for Pitta, but Yeah, well, and I love that you're saying that because Pitta also has the water quality, which helps things move through smoothly, whereas Vatas are all air, so it's drier, right? We just don't have that lubrication to just let everything move through. And then Kapha is the third one, which it's K-A-P-H-A, so it's really an aspirated P, Kapha, but because everything's just moved you know, westward, and we know that the pH in English is an F sound. It's accepted and it's fine, but kappa, kappa is accepted with an F sound, but kappa is what it really is. You guys, it's a pud on a fa, okay? Exactly. Right. Pa you. Yeah, pa you. <laughs> Get the pa out of here. Okay, I like it. Um, so kappa is a combination of water and earth. 
So they tend to just be more dense and not like dense, like simple minded, but dense in like have more meat, have a, a, a wider bone structure, have thicker hair, have um, like really big, beautiful eyes and like soft, soft skin, right? Where like moon shaped, I heard. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas a Vata tends to wrinkle earlier in life because there's not as much lubrication. So kaphas are those people that we all want to be friends with if we don't have a lot of it in our constitution because this earthbound person is very grounded. So they're very stable. Um, their management or what they manage is resilience. So they bounce back. They don't get sick often. When they do get sick, it doesn't last long. Whereas a vata can be around like one person that sneezes and is like, oh, I have a tickle in my throat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. So just so that people, because I I feel like you and I could go off on these tangents, me far less than you, but I think that if you have any examples of like famous people that are Vata, Pitta, or Kapha, so you can paint a a picture of what they are, the only one I know of that I've heard is like someone said that, because when I think Kapha, it's more like maternal, mother nature, mm-hmm. wholehearted, but then someone said that Oprah is Kapha. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense because she's this like mother, totally. maternal, that kind of thing. What do you think are some like celebrities so that you can put like a face to a name, mm-hmm. you know, structurally what they look like, how they are, how they act, like yeah. characteristics? So I'm glad that you said that. So one of the things that it kind of grates on my nerves <laughs> is when people know a little bit about Ayurveda and they know a little bit about doshas and they're like, oh, I know the physical attributes of this dosha, so this person must be that, right? Guilty, yes. <clears throat> and so I understand where it comes from, but I, but you actually said it, whether you realized it or not. You're like, depending on how they act or what they look like, there is, it's all connected, but there is a separation. So when we look at the holistic model, we're looking at four bodies. We're looking at the mental body, the physical body, the behavioral body, and the emotional body. So if I go online and I take this little questionnaire that spits out what my dosha is, basically saying, yeah, you have all three of these because everyone does, but this one you have the most, or more commonly, these two you have a lot of. Um, It's very uncommon to be what's considered tridoshic, which means you basically have the same amount of each one. Uh, and we can look at that and say, well, you know, my mom's tendencies are this way and my dad's tendencies are this way. And I'm probably going to be somewhat of a combination of that with some extra little, you know, that Mm -hmm. keeps me unique. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say some people that I would guess physically and then maybe more behaviorally, which could be separate. So I say this because someone can look very much like a certain dosha but their emotional body and their mental body can swing them in a totally different way. For instance, I'll paint a not a specific person picture. Say there was someone who was very thin, thin hair, almost kind of um, like wafy, very, very, very light. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, right? Sorry, just because we're not getting specific. Clearly. Yeah, well, and the interesting thing is Unfortunately, because our society praises being thin so much, especially when people have fame, you never know if they're really living in the body that's meant for them or if they're not nourished. Good point. So they could look very thin, but that might not be their natural frame. 
so it's hard to do that um i think um when we start to get into people who are really in the public eye so let's just say nicole kidman i don't know her personally but let's say that emotionally she's very stable very compassionate which i would say you know suits we could even say this about angelina jolie right she's very thin which is very vata but she is well she has a lot of wealth and she's using her wealth to be there for people and change and change the fabric of communities which is very kothic and very she's maternal kothic. she's and she's maternal like kids yeah <laughs> yeah um and she's confident, and and I would say that she probably isn't jealous because how the hell would you be married to Brad Pitt if jealousy is a real, you know, just kind of a knee-jerk reaction in one of your emotional mm-hmm. places. So if she was high pitta, which... Now, you can be an evolved pitta and not be a jealous person. I'm not saying that every pitta is walking around as a jealous person, but that is typically a go-to emotion when you're not aligned or evolved. So if she had high pitta and she was married to Brad Pitt, she might be walking around going like, all right, you ladies who are all checking out my husband, right? Back off. Right. But I would say that she probably has a combination of kapha. She does have um, like really pretty large eyes, right? So we see that somewhat physically. Um, but we also see some of that jawline, which you were talking about, which could be vata, could be pitta. Sometimes there's... It depends because thinness kind of creates that bony awareness, I guess, just visually. Um, but to your point earlier, if we found somebody like Conan O'Brien, who has red hair, who has light skin, who has light eyes, these are all pitta qualities. He's also very witty. He's very quick mentally. So I would be surprised if mentally he wasn't high in pitta. Okay. Okay. As well as physically. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. What's one more? Um, like one more that's. Well, I do love the Oprah mind. thing, so I just want to visit that because I okay. think that while she's been very open throughout majority of her life now about what she, you know, like her weight and is she comfortable with it? Is the public eye comfortable with it? Where do you draw the line between where I feel good in my own body and where I feel like because I'm on TV and people see me, I need to fit into a size whatever, you know? Um, So kind of back to my point before, we could have three people eating the same thing, same amounts of food, same times of day, and one person could maintain weight, that would be the pitta. One person might inadvertently or unintentionally lose weight, which is the vata, and one person might gain weight unintentionally. And it's the same thing. It's just a different process in the digestive system. Okay. So I would say that on a, on a physical level, Oprah probably has some kapha if she's acknowledged very publicly, what the hell? I don't eat the worst in the world, but I'm gaining weight, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is something that we need to understand. We are not all meant to look like Kate Winslet, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're just not. Yeah. So let me think of, okay, I would say that, well, just kind of, we're kind of in the same okay. little incestuous, but Jennifer Aniston. Okay. Um, so she's acting, right? I don't know her personally, but the way that she, the roles that she takes a lot and the ways that she acts is kind of quirky, kind of flighty, um, she has an ability to laugh at herself 
and daydream. This is all very Bata. It, she's a, kind of like an airhead, spacey. Yeah. In a way. And not to say, yeah, and not to say, again, that all Vatas are airheads, but Vatas like to live in the clouds. They much prefer not to have their feet on the ground. If you go into, we're in Charleston, if you go into the Commodore and there's a band playing and people are on the dance floor, if we go into a club, the Vatas are going to be the people that are literally jumping up and down. You know, the Vatas are like, I want to be able to dance and actually not put my feet on the ground. I want to readjust my bones. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. And the pittas are probably the people who have like a very formatted dance and they're just like redoing it and redoing it and redoing it and maybe like different variations of it, but there's a structure, right? They're following a protocol of some kind, even though they feel like they're letting go and all okay. this, right? And the kaphas are holding ground. I mean, they might literally be the people who are taking it low. And they're like, I want to touch my ass on the ground because I love the feeling of being on the earth, you know? Okay. Right? Like the twerking is very cophic. So this is amazing (laughs) because I think we can all kind of think about people that we know who characteristically just in their actions and how they are maybe in a business setting or just, yeah, in a work setting. And we might be thinking, huh, this might be interesting to follow up on. Like, maybe we should all do a little more research on this. So mm-hmm. I'm, we could do an entire podcast episode just on the doshas. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> um, but I want to get into also, like, okay, so poop and sex. Two yeah. very amazing topics to cover. So yeah. um, for digestive purposes, what are some things, what are some Ayurvedic practices that people can integrate into their lifestyles <laughs> that would help... Um, fire up their digestion if you will yes so i'm going to answer this kind of a part a and a part b so in order to fire up your digestion which means essentially speeding up your metabolism and it's not i don't mean that in a way of like oh let me just speed things up and then i'll lose weight this is none of this there's a big disclaimer none of this is about a weight loss regimen Mm -hmm. this is all about finding alignment with you know, the size and temperament that is best for each person. But when we fire up the digestion, we're essentially helping the body, helping the acids in the stomach, helping all these things that naturally occur, um, really push things through the system in a way that doesn't force them through too fast, which would create diarrhea, Um, but also doesn't get choked up which could result in either a lot of bloating it could also result in like throwing up Mm. um so when we're speeding up the digestion digestion through increasing the fire element we're actually looking for pungent foods and pungent foods are foods that have a really intense taste so that's like a jalapeno Mm. ginger cayenne pepper but these spicier foods that carry with them fire. So, hey, if my digestion is slow and I feel backed up, I'm constipated, one of the things I can do is increase the fire element because I know that that will essentially, it it actually creates this movement in the system like a churning and it's going to help push things through. Mm -hmm. So does it mean that we need to eat spicy food at every meal or every day? Absolutely not. But remember, we're looking at this as something that's medicinal. Mm -hmm. So if you enjoy spicy food and your body enjoys it too and digest it well, then great, have it as much as you want it. But a lot of people, what they wind up doing is they enjoy spicy food and then there's this tipping point 
where they enjoy it and it feels great and everything's wonderful and then they start to notice, ooh, I'm having acid reflux or ooh, I feel like the stomach ache and which can result in like an, an ulcer. It can be very, very serious or I'm having heartburn, something like that. So you notice all these like heartburn, it, 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 it's the fire, it's too much fire. So if we have this burning sensation in the body, we've got to let the fire element be less. Okay. We can dial it up to improve the digestion. We can dial it up too much. And so then the body will tell us like, hey, I'm pissed off. You've given me too much fire. You need to cool it off. So balancing. I feel like that's a little bit difficult sometimes. Yeah. Balance, especially when it, especially when it's getting to be colder and people want, yeah, people want hot foods. But then what if you need to cool it down? Like it's getting to be winter time. Mm -hmm. um, what are some good seasonal foods for people to have just on deck are there any like spices that you recommend yeah just to have handy for families let's just say we're a family looking at yeah so dinner. one of the things that's i feel like um <laughs> there are certain foods that get a lot of street cred right and one of the spices is turmeric but there's a reason mm -hmm. and the reason is turmeric is a great anti-inflammatory especially during the holidays when we're probably having more combinations of foods that we don't always have or maybe we're eating more food than we normally have um, we want to make sure that things that can typically create a little bit of inflammation which isn't necessarily saying it's creating havoc in the body but over time we wouldn't want to you know always eat like we do maybe on Christmas Day if we if we indulge I love the fact that Ayurveda is is like yeah indulge but not all the time Mm -hmm. So, if we were a family, I would say that I definitely want to have some anti-inflammatories. Turmeric is a pretty astringent, like it doesn't, I wouldn't say that the taste is overwhelmingly delicious for most people, but you can put it in foods and add things like cumin, which is also anti-inflammatory. You can add um, cardamom, you can add clove, you can add all these things which are very seasonal spices. Nutmeg. Uh, an interesting thing about nutmeg, and this is kind of a sidebar, but a lot of people um, for years and years and years, right, it's been this idea that <clears throat> if you're having a hard time falling asleep, have a warm glass of milk. Have you ever heard that? Uh-huh. My mom used to call it pearl tea. Pearl tea. Damn, you're cute, mom. That's yeah. amazing and very cute. Mm -hmm. So golden milk is basically this warm milk. You add turmeric, but you can add all these other spices. So when I have it, I don't just add turmeric because to me... It can be more delicious than that. Mm -hmm. And so I love cinnamon. I add cinnamon. Nutmeg is really great before you go to bed because it actually is a natural sedative. Oh. Yeah. Oh, y'all listen up. We have so many podcasts about sleep. That's Isn't that great. interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you're going to have milk, have it warm, not blazing hot, but warm and add some spices because firstly, it's going to be more delicious. Secondly, it'll help you digest dairy if you have any kind of like a little bit of gas or a little bit of this because of dairy. These spices are digestive spices. You know, we call them culinary spices because we use them in the kitchen, we use them to cook, but they all have medicinal properties. We call them culinary spices. Mm. Col I'm sorry. Just culinary. Took me a little I was like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to need to put that on my Instagram. Great. So. Yeah, so if I were, you know, having, say I was a parent, 
and I have kids and they're like, oh, I don't want to go to sleep. Oh, I'm ready to go to sleep. Warm up some milk and make it delicious for them. Maybe for them, you don't put turmeric in, or maybe you just put a little bit of turmeric in, but you also add some of the seasonings that you know, well, hey, guess what? They're eating the pumpkin pie, so they're probably liking the spices that are in the pumpkin pie. So why not just drop some pumpkin pie spice in there? Great idea. That's so smart. Um, so the other thing I would say is if we, we kind of got into this idea of like, well, what if we dial in too much heat on the spicy side and we want to dial it back down? I just want to clarify. I know that you and I have talked about this before, but I want to clarify for the listeners that it's not about then just adding cold food or ice. It's not going in the complete opposite extreme. Instead, it's eliminating the spice that was there. So maybe you have the same, sometimes I make golden milk and I put a little pinch of cayenne in there if I'm getting congested because it breaks through the congestion. Now, do I do that every time I have golden milk? Absolutely not because I don't, you know, when I'm going to bed, I want to feel soothed and cayenne to me is kind of like this, like Mm -hmm. it just like opens up your senses. Um, so there's that. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, another thing that I can say is aside from spices during the winter, the other thing we want to do is hydrate, 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 because this is Vata season. There's more wind. It's more arid. It's colder. These are all qualities of a Vata person. They're so like all qualities. Dry skin, dry hair, dry kind skin, of dry hair, dry nails, dry eyes, itchy throat, dry eyes all the dryness basically. And so of course we can see when our skin gets, you know, scaly or whatever, and we need to put something on it. Um, but we can't really see what's going on digestively. We can't see the inside lining of what's going on. So we know that if we start to see, you know, creases on the skin or fragile nails, water, water, water. And one of the best ways that I like to do it during this time of year, especially because it's so nourishing and it just smells so delicious is broth. Mm-hmm. So we can sit broth, we can add it, say we're making rice with a meal or farro with a meal or any grain for that matter, quinoa, instead of using only water, maybe some water, but put some broth in there or maybe completely exchange the water for broth. Okay. Um, if we're making soups or stews or even meat and we want to have some kind of vegetables with it instead of using just oil and maybe sauteing with water. Um, you or steaming with water, excuse me, use broth instead. I love that. And that'll steam too, but it'll, it'll have more nutrients, more minerals, more vitamins. So I would say that's the other big thing as a family is how can we take in as much, uh, warmth. So that's warm foods and also a little sprinkling of spicy foods, which is harder a lot of times for younger kids. Mm -hmm. So if we can't have the spicy foods, we want to make sure that we have this water element so that everything is naturally just flowing through the body and sliding through. It's not getting lodged anywhere, um, which will alleviate constipation and things like that. It'll also help with kids who are going to school with umpteen runny noses. Mm-hmm. Keeping them hydrated is going to help their immune system. So you're talking about water. Let's say, okay, we set a goal for ourselves, drink like a gallon of room temp water every day. That's mm-hmm. just That's just to use as a little anecdotal snippet right there. Mm -hmm. When I hear dehydration and I hear dry skin, dry nails, all that stuff, I think, okay, what's like creamy, good, oily? I think like coconut cream. I think coconut Mm -hmm. milk, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So would 
adding it, I know coffee is acidic and it's caffeinated, so it's good at drying you out. Yeah. I've been putting coconut cream in my coffee every morning instead of just like normal creamer or almond milk. So yes, is that more hydrating? Is that something that would be good? Like it's should helpful. I be rubbing that all over my body? For sure, it's helpful. Um, Ayurveda is really big, really big on keeping the tissues, I'll say moisturized with oil. And when we kind of you know get a little bit deeper into the practice, we start to split hairs. So not oils are all not all oils are all the same. Mm-hmm. Coconut oil is cool by nature, and you know the earth is intelligent. And when we think about where coconuts are indigenous, it's in the tropics where it's hot and people need to be cooled down by the food. So it's it's not a bad. This is not about bad and good, right? So it's it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's much better than from a hydration standpoint than just having black coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because we wouldn't put another, I mean, there are not many different oils that we would put in coffee. We're not going to put olive like oil in our sesame coffee. Oil in coffee. Yeah. We're not going to do that. So for the sake of conversation and what you're specifically asking, it's a great idea. The other thing we can do is use something like ghee. If you're not a vegetarian or a vegan, it's clarified butter, so all the fat is basically skimmed out of it. So it's basically another oil, and um, it's it just comes from, you know, it's it comes from a cow. Okay. So, so ghee in the coffee if you want. You can kind do like ghee in the coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or on, you know, fill in the blank whatever food you can put that in the pan before you make your vegetables. You can. Um, you know, grease a pan with it if you're baking something. Okay. So the other thing I would say is sesame oil is warming by nature. So that goes for the same thing as like if you eat sesame seeds, there's a warm quality to it. Um, is it okay to rub sesame oil on myself? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. And so self oil massage is called abhyanga. Uh, That's doing abhyanga. Mm-hmm. Abhyanga. And sesame oil for someone who is vata is highly recommended. And the way that we apply the oil is also a way that we can support the nervous system or not. Okay. So for a vata person, we don't want to move with like really fast strokes, right? So it's not about like how fast can I get this done and how quickly can I slather all over my body, but instead moving along with the bone. So if I'm touching my arm, which I'm doing right now, my upper arm bone, I'm going up and down from the shoulder to the elbow, and I'm just going around and I'm taking my time. Now when I get to the elbow, I'm gonna go in a circle. This Any joint, you go in a circle and you just make sure that you kind of turn your hand, I have my hand in a C. Like a cuff. Yeah, and I'm just kind of working around from the inside to the outside. Then I get to my forearm and I go long strokes again, all the way down, all the way up. I get to my wrist, I do circles, I get to my hand, and I just kind of massage, okay. right? So then when I get to my torso, digestion goes ascending colon on the right side of the body, transverse colon in the middle, descending colon on the left, and that goes down to your rectum. Okay. So when I put oil on my belly and my back, I want to move up on the right side, across the top, and down on the left. Up on the right side. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm moving in a circle. Mm -hmm. Up on the right, across, and then down on the left. And then on the back, you're basically mirroring the same thing, up on the right, across, and then down on the left. 
if you do it the other way, is it going to make you sick? I can't say yes, but is it going to be just intuitively smarter to move in line with the way the process needs to happen? Yeah, of course. So if you're high pitta and it's summertime and you live somewhere like Charleston where it's hotter than hail, then you want to use coconut oil because coconut is naturally cooling. So you can kind of see you know, where you use things and how they can make that difference that maybe once or twice isn't really going to feel indifferent. If you only have coconut oil and your vata, it's okay to use coconut oil. In fact, you might love it and that's fine. And just consider that in the wintertime or if you're going somewhere skiing one weekend and it's freezing cold, maybe you just bring a little thing of sesame oil for that period of time and just see, you might like that too. So I'm not going to like walk around smelling like a Thai restaurant in my head. Yeah, like well, if you get my... toasted sesame oil, you will. Okay, so not toasted sesame oil. Yeah. So I also feel like that's a huge, so Abiyanga, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a huge part of self-care too is just like giving yourself two minutes at the end of the day to just like genuinely just rub yourself down and give yourself some self-massage. Yeah. So for anyone tonight going home, showering, you're like normal shower dry off schedule once you're done drying off go to your kitchen maybe go there before if you have roommates get whatever you have at this point just to kind of practice that ritual and then you know if you're vata that airy structure then maybe consider the sesame oil and then pitta you could maybe consider coconut oil mm-hmm. at some points and then what do you think for kapha Sesame. So the interesting thing, well, the interesting thing is because pittas are the only one who inherently have a lot of fire, the other two are innately cold natured. Okay. Um, And so it's interesting because you could say, well, you know, I get it with vata. If you, if you're physically vata, you just have less meat on your bones. You might get a chill faster. Kaphas might have more meat on their bones, but they're, they're, preference is to not be in cold weather. Their preference is to not have no socks on when it's cold outside because their fingers and their toes are going to get chilly faster than a pitta. Okay. Okay. This is, ah, I I genuinely, I can keep going. I won't like the sun is setting, but um, (laughs) I do want to get into, so we, we talked about digestion. That was all gold. We talked about a little bit about sleep, maybe adding some nutmeg into your nightly rituals, some little abiyanga, some self-care, some self-love, rubbing, massage, sex. Where does all of this come in other than just using coconut oil for lube? Like, what do you think, how could this affect a sex life? So one of the things that I think Ayurveda really shines in in the sex department is the, the mindfulness practices, the understanding how my body feels and what my body needs. And it's not just the physical body, but it is the emotional body. And it's even, you know, the wit that the mental body needs or the calm that the mental body needs. So I would say on a subtle level, it's understanding yourself in a way that you can articulate to somebody else. And so if we really want to have a good sex life, we have to be able to communicate what we like and what we don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, having sex and going for it and whatever is fine, but over a longer relationship, you know, you want to understand and you want to know that you're not just doing something for the sake of thinking that the other person enjoys it. Um, so I think there's that. I think there's just a really a, a much more of a depth of understanding yourself and the other person. Um, and then aside from that, 
making sure that it's kind of like a you know, a trifecta. Like if the sleep is good, then the sex is going to be better. If the eating is good, then the sleeping is going to be better. It just one feeds mm-hmm. the other, right? And nobody wants to bang if they're super bloated and no, you know, having no. Or you're afraid you're going to pass gas, like gross, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. or burp when you're kissing somebody, gross, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. So taking care of your digestion obviously won't come out kind of like sideways when you least expect it. Um, the other thing I was going to say is when you're when you're intimate with somebody it's like you want to be in a space of really appreciating yourself and we can't always be like okay I'm gonna have the perfect amount of time to sit with myself and make sure that I feel good before I interact with this person like of course that might be an idealistic way of thinking but the reality is if you're if you're checking in with yourself regularly which Ayurveda teaches us to do and so we start doing it without actually having to like set a timer to remind ourselves to do it then you're naturally going to feel more aligned with who you are. You're, you're probably going to be a better partner in bed because you're going to be more confident. Um, kind of going back to one of the first conversations you and I had when I sat down, it's like, well, what do we get out of this practice? And it's confidence. Um, and the other thing is, I feel like with sleeping, maybe more so, but it also bleeds into the sex life because if we're having sex in a bedroom or in a bed, it really matters what your surroundings are like. So, you know, cleanliness on the inside is cleanliness on the outside and vice versa. So if I wake up and I'm in the habit of making my bed, that's such a simple example, but such a way for me to just have some kind of order and some kind of semblance of putting things in their proper place, which allows me to feel good knowing that when I come home at the end of the day, whether I'm sleeping by myself or whether I'm with somebody else and I'm going to get it on, Mm -hmm. I know that there's like this very nice bed that's waiting for me. It doesn't look like somebody just like sweated all over it the night before, you know? So the surroundings really matter. And when we're talking about sleeping or sex or eating, being in a rhythm really matters. So I'm going to be a better partner if as a woman, I'm aware of my own menstrual cycle. I'm going to be a better partner as a man if, Of course, this is more, as it gets more long-term, it's more interesting, but if the male is with a woman and he's understanding what her cycle is like and how she's feeling or not feeling at a certain time, you know, he he might be, yeah. So true. He might be more apt to really want to get it on when he knows like you really want to, mm-hmm. you know, like he's like going to benefit those from Those like that. four to six days in the month where you're like, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. I don't right. want to be close. I don't want to touch like nothing. And then there are other times when you just want to jump someone's bones. Right. And like, the, seriously, if you don't, you, you guys aren't already have flow on your phone, highly recommend that app. It's the easiest thing ever. It helps you predict your periods, especially if you're not on birth control, if you're irregular flow, get the app. So smart. Such a great idea. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. I think feeling not only confident on the inside, inside, aligned on the inside, but then looking around and really setting the scene, quite honestly. I mean, as silly as that may sound, it is being aware of the fact that sensual sex is great sex. And, you know, it's not a surprise that like candles lit and music playing is in the movies. You know, it sets the scene. So is it warm enough? Is it cool enough? All of those things, because essentially all we're doing our entire lives 
is creating our own perspective based on what our senses are bringing into our brain. If I see something that's pleasurable to look at, I'm gonna get more excited about it. If I smell something that's pleasurable to smell, I'm going to be in that mindset of opening myself up to experiencing it more. Same thing with sound, same thing with touch. So this is why, you know, there's country songs about shaving your legs because, (laughs) you know, like, do we want the prickle to be uncomfortable to the person that we're trying to get intimate with, you know? So you want to kind of set the mood for not only, you know, you don't want to like eat your food in front of a TV. You want to sit down at a table, enjoy it, sit there, but also in the bedroom, like you want to make that a place for sleep, not a place to have your laptop out exchanging emails. Yes. Read a book, do something that is... Honestly, do something central. Either listen to music, light a candle. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm single as a Pringle right now, and I have a candle in my room and essential oils that are yep. steaming up. So some things people could do. Get accent lighting mm-hmm. instead of overhead lighting. Mm-hmm. That's always sexy. Mm-hmm. Candles. Mm-hmm. Are there any like specific essential oils that you like for the bedroom specifically? Well, I mean, there are. I think that, honestly, I think that's personal preference. There are oils, of course, that calm us down. So... I think that you know some people like more musky scents and some people like more floral scents. So I do think that's a personal preference. Cool. But I also think that going with something that isn't intense is good too. You know, like I love some floral essential oils like gardenia, but I would put it in a living space more than my bedroom. Agreed. You know, it's pretty. It, it's a big smell. So lavender, I think, is really you know it's popular because it's calming, but it's also pretty subtle true in the scheme of you know oils and scents and things okay so yeah well um again I say this after every question I could pick your brain for forever but I do want to just leave the audience with like your key takeaways if there was um one resource a book a podcast anything that really has spoken to you that you think Mm -hmm. would be beneficial for the audience who is just now learning more about Ayurveda Ayurveda, um, you know, what is something that they could go on Amazon, get right now, or do tonight before bed or tomorrow morning when they wake up? What's your favorite resource to give away? Yeah, well, one thing that we talked about a little bit was Abhyanga, and I think sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you want me to put oil on my skin, which includes the face, which includes the head if you want to. You don't always have to do your hair, but it's really wonderful for the nervous system. Wow. But what I would say is probably a nice way to approach it. And one of the ways that I first kind of, you know, went down this path was just to start with my feet. So I found an old pair of socks that I didn't care about. And I was just reading a book. And this was kind of like how I integrated it first. I would read some pages from my book before I went to bed. And while I was reading my book, I was massaging my feet with oil. And then after I would massage my feet, I would put these socks on that I would basically just turn into kind of like they're already ratty socks and they're the socks I'm going to put on after I own my feet. And then I would just continue reading until I was ready to go to bed. And I kid you not, the sleep that you will get when you oil your feet is amazing. And, you know, after a while, the oil soaks in. You don't have to sleep with socks on if that's not comfortable. Um, But it's pretty awesome. It's really pretty amazing. Yeah. Especially in colder weather. It's just very, it's warming, it's nourishing, it feels great. Okay. Getting all my roommates to rub my feet tonight. (laughs) Okay. So there's that practice, which I feel is pretty simple. Um, And as far as resources go, I really, really do, it's, it's interesting because I'm, while I love Ayurveda and I practice it and I educate about it, 
I am a big one on integration. And so I don't just fuel my brain with Ayurvedic resources. I fuel my brain with mindfulness resources and yogic resources and medical resources. And there's a local GI doctor in town. His name is Will. Um, and he goes by the gut health MD on social media and he is wonderful. And his principles are much, um, or I would say my principles are much like his in that, um, you know, we both agree that taking care of the microbiome is so imperative to every aspect of your health. Um, and he has a lot of his own resources and every single post he makes is very informative. He has been a researcher. So everything is backed by science. If you're more science minded in that you want the research before you try it on your own. Um, so I would say him, if you're skeptical, but interested, look at what he's saying. It's very in line with Ayurveda. And if you are interested in learning more about Ayurveda, I would say one of the, one of the authors that I think is, well, I'll give you two. Two of the authors that I think are really great. Um, one of them is named David Frawley, and it's F-R-A-W-L-E-Y. He has a book called Ayurveda in the Mind, which is great because it talks about mental health. It talks about how you can really access mental health through Ayurvedic practices. And then the other one actually has an Ayurvedic center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and his name is Basant Lad. He also has an Ayurvedic center in India, which he is Indian. Um, and his last name is L-A-D. And he has, like David Frawley, he has many resources. Some of them are more introductory um, and some of them are not. But there's a book, and I'm blanking on the name, by Vasant Lad. It's uh, got a, like a burgundy cover with an illustration of a person on the front. Gotcha. Um, and I can give you that title afterwards if you'd like that too, Eliza. Yeah. But, um, but I would say those are two places to start and it's very deep. It goes, you know, it's a mile deep and a mile wide, I feel. And you can spend a lifetime learning. It's not like you're ever going to be the master and know it all, which is exciting for people like us who like to continue to learn and grow and all that. So. Um, yeah, so I would start there. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, I will link all of that information in the show notes. I also know, Karen, you're doing a uh, cleanse. You do one-on-one -on -one coaching. You do group coaching. You yeah. do. You travel all over for your coaching, and I'm going to you know, put that all in the introduction. But um, just thank you so much for your thank time. You. you are more knowledge than I know what to do with, and <laughs> it's precious time to meet you. So I'm going to link all of this information in the show notes and I hope you guys enjoy. So feel free to ask questions. I'll post something on Instagram later make sure you follow Karen. Her Instagram name is at Karen O'Hara Ayurveda. And I'll again, post that in the show notes because, uh, I'm not going to spell it all out. Nobody, <laughs> nobody listening will write that down, but thank you all for listening. This is episode 60 of hotter than health with Karen O'Hara, Ayurvedic counselor. Talk to you guys later.